0: Well, it's a little odd to be asked at Heather Hills Baptist Church on Sunday morning to do a reflection on your own sabbatical. It's odd because if you've been around here for any time at all, you know that we do not um, seed the primacy of the gospel on Sunday morning for about anything. COVID's running ragged, and sometimes people ask us, hey, why don't you guys talk a little bit more about COVID? Well, because the gospel is a little bit more important than COVID, and we don't want to let the world's agenda set the agenda here. Well, politics are going crazy. Why aren't you talking a little bit more about this and that and race riots and all that? Well, all those things are important, and they come up a little bit here and there. You hear us talk about them as the text allows. But again, this. You may or may not agree, but that's our thinking and our rationale that the truth of God's Word, the importance of feeding you as sheep, and the primacy of the gospel of Jesus Christ supersedes and transcends all those things. It shapes the way Brian and Greg and I think. So I got to tell you, it's a little odd to get a note from my boss, uh, you know, three weeks out, say, hey, why don't you talk about your sabbatical? Well, I got to figure out how to do that and that at the same time. So on Friday this week, when I walked into the uh, office, and I did come a few times, I will tell you with clear conscience, not once, I came more than a few times, not once that I work on anything Heather Hills related. I own another company. There was sabbatical accounting to do. I promise you, I did not take my laptop and all my books and everything and take them home to the chaos that is my house. Uh, that that is my little sanctuary. So uh, it was just much easier to sneak in the back door and have my moments. Uh, I didn't violate the terms of the sabbatical. Melissa can tell you how often I came. I'll let her. But. Um, I walked in on Friday knowing I had to prepare this morning. She goes, You have two more days. I said, Oh, no, I'm back. (laughs) That was two days ago. I have work to do. In God's providence, in my news feeds, we all have different media that we follow. A news story came across that caught my eye. Bitter divisions over politics and the pandemic have seeped into churches and led to increasing rates of job burnout among pastors. Multiple clergy members and those who counsel them told Fox News Digital, quote, Our faith does not exempt us from anxiety, depression, temptation, or COVID, so that's to be expected, end quote, said David Ferguson, executive director of the Great Commandment Network, which provides counseling initiatives to help pastors. Quote, but in addition to that, we are obviously in a real, divided, polarized, politicized world where sadly at times pastors feel the pressure to take positions on every imaginable topic. A study of Protestant pastors conducted in March by the faith-based research organization, the Barna Group, that many of you have heard of, suggested that unprecedented numbers are thinking of quitting the ministry. The poll showed that the rates of burnout among pastors have risen dramatically over the past year, with a staggering 42% of pastors wondering if they should abandon their vocation altogether. I screenshotted that, sent it, uh, Michael was on that, I said, not me, ha. <laughs> I was being a little glib, I don't mean to make light of the actual news content, I was just experiencing something entirely different. I also read a, um, as I was preparing to do this, I read a couple of other uh, pastors' reflections on sabbaticals. One man wrote this, well, there was certainly all the outward preparation. It was a lot of work. That was straightforward and expected. What I did not anticipate were the fears that started to fill my heart as the sabbatical drew closer. What if the church fell apart while I was gone? What if families left? Or worse, what if things went great while I was gone? What if the church liked the visiting pastors better? What if they decided they didn't want me back? What if I was not indispensable? These are the secret fears of a pastor's heart that none of us want to admit. Not all of that reflects everything I felt, but there's a little bit there. It's odd. It's unusual. Sure. And yet, haha, not me. <laughs> not really. And I'll come back to that. What's the biggest gift you've ever received? I've gotten some great ones in my life. Great ones. Probably the best gift, not the largest gift financially, obviously, but the best gift I've ever received is that lady who just stood here before me. She's a sweet one. And loves the Lord he loves his word and it's just not a better thing but I got $50,000 dropped on me <laughs> that's a pretty big gift and I was just talking to Joel before his service and you know what when, it, when it's a piece of paper, when it's a check that's made out to Heather Hills Baptist Church a year ago and I didn't see any of it initially and yeah I swiped my card last September and spent $2,000 to buy tickets for an event that was A week ago it was just academic even the planning all of the i've planned trips before i gotta tell you sitting on the other side of that blessing i'm blown away i'm blown away i i I could not people ask me how was your sabbatical and i know what they mean they want a quick answer but i want to i want to express somehow the scope of it so I say, well, I can tell you it was indescribable or ask you if you have six hours. and Because I, and I, and, I know they don't want to sit for six hours, and maybe they want a story, but I want to explain to them that it, it, it's more than an anecdote. I thought I'd review a little bit about the sabbatical application and events, if you're taking notes. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I'll tell you when, you Bible people, I'll tell you when it's time to take notes. Don't worry about most of this. I will tell you a little bit about the lessons I've learned in my sabbatical. And that's where we'll spend a little bit of time um, in the scripture. So a review of how we got there, what happened, but then what I've learned and what I hope maybe we can learn. Not all of you know my whole story in the years leading up to us applying for the sabbatical. Um, I've been around Heather Hill since 1984 as a teenager. I was an interim pastor here while I was in Bible college in 1988 and 89, serving on staff as a paid 10-week intern uh, twice. We did leave for a short time. I was a pastor in uh, Jasper, and I served up in Kosciuszko County near Warsaw in a little town called Mentone. We've been back here since 99. I've been teaching here since 99. I was a deacon and, in fact, chairman of that group uh, for many years, from 2005 to 2011. That's six years. That's when you're supposed to get your one year off, and that's the year they made me a bivocational pastor, so I didn't get my year off. I was a bivocational pastor here from 12 to 17 and was... In your grace, you asked me to uh, come on staff full-time in 2018, and I've served in that role from 2018 to the present. Uh, during that time in 2007, the Great Recession, I lost my job. Lori's pregnant with number eight. That was a little staggering for me. bet my wife's dad live with us, my parents living with us in the last few years. Mom just passed away. Uh, last Good Friday, we've had a few foster daughters, guests in the home, uh, marriages, weddings at the house. The title of my sabbatical grant narrative was Caring for the Caregivers, and it was not easy to write because I don't like to often reflect on, oh, poor me, you know, I, it, it's not my temperament, it's not my spirit, and I don't think it's the spirit of the scripture either. It's in our weakness that God's strength is made perfect in us. We're to serve, and even if we are poured out as a drink offering, Paul said, on the sacrifice and service of your faith, we rejoice. We should just constantly be poured out as God pours into us. That's a better way to live. But you've got to write an application, and on paper, I look a little needy. Um, so we, we wrote this narrative. Hey, it wouldn't be a bad thing if we invested in ourselves. It wouldn't be a bad thing if we invested in our family. It wouldn't be a bad thing if we invested in our marriage. And so those are the how we got to that spot. Ecclesiastes 10.10 10 has been the theme verse in my mind as we've approached the sabbatical. It says, if you don't sharpen the saw, you have to use more strength. And I don't want to be a dull axe in the hand of God. <laughs> He'd have to hit the tree more often with me. <laughs> I'd like to be Sharp. I'd like to be well taken care of. As Lori said, the key components were, and they asked the question, what makes your heart sing? Well, we had planned in the grant application to have rest and encouragement for our souls. And we thought of that in terms of the Israel trip. Rest and encouragement for our marriage. We thought of that in terms of the Hawaii trip. And rest and encouragement for the family. And we thought of that in terms of the sing conference that we were able to go to. So that's the background. Lessons I learned from the sabbatical. There are some easy ones. Number one, if you get a chance to go to Hawaii, go. (laughs) If you get a chance to go to Israel, take it. I strongly urge you a more a, a more um, attainable goal, go see the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. We were so encouraged and had, did not know what we were getting into. And if you get a chance to go to the SING conference in Nashville, Tennessee, that Keith and Kristen Getty put on, it's only four hours away, highly recommend. Now, you may not be <laughs> given a grant to do those things. It may not be as easy, but... Um, Commendations. Okay, seriously. Lessons from the sabbatical. We went to Israel with a group called Pilgrim Tours. It's a company, professional vacation company, tour guide. Um, recommend good. In the applica- or in the um, purchasing process, I saw an opportunity for a discount. <laughs> Hey, if you're a pastor, you can get 10% off. Just check this box in exchange for a few things we might ask you to do. 10%. (laughs) Well, the first thing I was told was we're going to send you some cash and we need you to give that to the tour guide you'll meet there. I said, hey, that's pretty easy for 10%. And I mean no nothing disparaging about. It. They could have just told me this earlier, but we left on a Tuesday, I think, and the Thursday before I got a call from one of the owners of Pilgrim Tours. Uh, I'd been told he would call, give me an outline of what I'll need to do, and I was told how often that they would want me to lead a devotional or teach. It would have been nice to have that notice a little bit earlier. It was also glorious. I got to teach our group of 48, and these were like 10-minute moments. I I opened every morning on the bus with a Bible reading and prayer. That was not really demanding. But I got to teach our group on Mount Carmel where Elijah battled the prophets of Baal. This high spot overlooking uh, the mountain range of Mount Hermon. Uh, I I mean, when we talk about the Bible in color, I'm like... It's really, really special. I got to teach at Caesarea Philippi, where Peter confessed, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." And Jesus asked him that in front of—I can't describe to you—the pagan shrines everywhere in the rock face, the bluffs taller than the t- t- twice as high as our walls here. In this pagan idolatry, it, to stand in front of them and say, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, is profound here at Heather Hills, but is crazy profound in front of the relics. I got to teach on a boat in the Sea of Galilee. I mean, just think about the number of stories in the scripture. No, I did not try to get out and walk on the water. Everybody, everybody asks that. I got to baptize 20 people in the Jordan River, including two of my own children. It was here where I thought I might have gotten fired. Because there, there are many things I did on sabbatical that I don't often like. This is the first time I've worn pants to church in 13 weeks. <laughs> Literally, I've worn shorts to church every, every week. But I got baptized by a Catholic priest in the Jordan River, and I just don't know. <laughs> so I, uh, it's very cool. There's a little pavilion here, and your group comes together. And if you want to get baptized, you pay $10, and that gives you access to the changing room. And everybody puts on a white gown. You've got to understand, Israel is like the hub of tourism. Catholics go, Protestants go, I mean, everybody goes, even in our own group of 48. There weren't 48 Heather Hills people there. It was eclectic. Okay, so I'm trying to be gospel-oriented in a group of people, some of whom are there simply for tourism, some are there because they're more about the shrines and the grace and almost more sacramentalism, and then there are people who are there like Lori and I who wanted to deepen in our understanding of the Scripture, I assume. So most people who weren't going to get baptized were just sitting up in the pavilion, and there were a series of concrete steps that just came around down, not probably a drop of about 18 feet, and um, into the Jordan River. There's a little metal railing, very, very simple. And they had poured a little bit of a concrete platform here that you could stand on. So the water was about up to here on me. There was this sweet little girl who showed up, and I mean, she was very short, and the water was to here. And then there was the six, seven, six, eight guy. And I told him just bend your knees, and he wouldn't. So here we are, locked in epic struggle, and I won. So uh, hey, I'm going to give him his money's worth if we're getting baptized in the Jordan River, right? And anyway, so I'm sitting here, and each person, and this is very taxing for me, because theologically, both communion and baptism, I believe, are given to the church, not the tour groups. I do, I have a very strong conviction about that. Local churches is where they're applied. So Brian and I had a good conversation about the fact that I was going to lead communion and I was going to I was going to serve in a baptism role, and you know it's Israel, it's tourism. We both took a deep breath and said, you know, this is not a hill to die on. But um, um, so we did it. So simple. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus that He saved you? Uh, give the people an opportunity to audibly testify before I baptize them, because if, if they couldn't do that, then I'd have a deeper theological problem. I'm not going to baptize somebody who is just going through the motions i can't read their minds either so i did the best i could each one i baptize you in the name of father son and holy spirit baptize you in the name of father son and holy spirit it's so warm it's beautiful it was like maui northern israel is like a rainforest i can't describe it to you it's much more lush than the south Um, It's the the river is winding, trees over, little pavilion, beautiful morning, water's warm, little fish are biting my ankles the whole time, I'm not joking, it was just very, it was distracting, (laughs) not like ouch bite, but itchy bites, you know, and so I'm just, while I'm baptized, it's just funny. So honestly, I'm in my white robe there, it's glorious, the water's warm, and I'm, and I'm I'm feeling a little bit, I'm on sabbatical. I'm feeling just a little bit more teenage-ish than I do most days. And I think, and I make a joke, and I say, well, there's nobody to baptize me, and I'm just going to baptize myself because the platform's only this wide. So if I take a step back, I'm in the river. So I'm just going to jump in the river. And this guy, Mark, I think was his name, says, Father Andrew will do it! And you know when you're in a group of people and everyone's being deferential to one I mean, we're trying to get along, right? I hesitated. And it was okay. I didn't mind. Father Andrew was from Ghana. Very dark-skinned man. Uh, a little bit about my age. Sweet. Loved the Bible. We, we talked often. I promise you, Father Andrew has never immersed anybody in his whole life. So this is the funny way. Father Andrew comes up behind me and puts his hand on the back of my neck and goes like this. <laughs> and tightens up. And starts to push forward, and I did. I can be a little sarcastic, a little snarky, and in my brain I thought, "Have you not watched me do this twenty times?" <laughs> so I resist him a little bit. It's not real obvious yet because you know I'm I'm standing my ground, and and um, I think he finally got the hint. He but he didn't put his hand up here like like I did, and help people. He just clenched tighter and drugged me in, you know. So uh, <laughs> it, it's just it, I just thought it was hilarious. And, um, but what was really great about it, and I'm sorry, just a funny story I wanted to tell. Um, Father Andrew did know the Scripture. Uh, he lives in Missouri now. And um, he said, and I can't do his accent, you know. Uh, History is like when John and Jesus... Who should be baptizing who? You know, and I said, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get fired. That the Catholic, you know, we, And we joked about it. It was just really, really funny. And so I got to baptize people in the Jordan River. Where were we? Oh, yeah, my jobs while I was there. I got to teach at the church in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I got to tell you, uh, we learned some things. Our, our tour guide, Michael, we called him Mickey, Michael, very <laughs> biblical name. It was a Russian Jew who moved back to Israel, a messianic Jew, sweet man, knew his scripture really, really well. He's been a tour guide for 25 years. Just read his Bible. Just just was glorious. I think a excuse me, a big part of a successful tour is the tour guide, right? I mean it just But we learned so much from him. You know Garden's not a great translation? Grove on the Mount of Olives an olive grove and the reason that area was called and what does Gethsemane mean I I guess I never knew we just accept some things don't we you hear Garden of Gethsemane okay cool you know well that's the name of a place but it means oil press the grove or the the part of the Mount of Olives the grove the particular grove that had the oil press in it By the way, just a little aside here: as we learned, there are three pressings of the oil and three times Jesus asking if God could take the. Cup. I mean, there, there's. So, I I, could, I said, do you have? Do I have forty minutes or do I have six hours? Um, but I got to teach there. Just thinking about Jesus being willing. Are you willing? I didn't like it, but he was willing. Remember the story? I, mean, I don't understand that in his humanity that that was. Versus his divinity, and then as Elijah said, we went to uh, a the Protestant site where the traditional place of the Garden Tomb is, and right next to that, we had a little pavilion, and I got to lead communion. And that's what I want to share with you this morning about um, uh, to try to make this an actual gospel-oriented time. I said to the people there, and of course I had, this time I had about 15 minutes, and I probably won't take that long here, but I said, what I want to do for you to, right now is shrink the Bible. Here we are in the Old Testament. And I think, isn't it a big book, and you try to study it? If I could, if I could shrink the Bible for you a little bit, that you could understand the whole story, then maybe you'd start understanding the parts of it inside a little bit. So, and I didn't know who I was getting into, but I said, you know, the Bible most people understand at its fundamental nature has two parts, right? It has this Old Testament and it has this New Testament, okay? The word testament, it's not a word we really use a lot. Probably the closest thing you'd associate it with is in a courtroom. The testify, the testament, probably has a little bit more um, connection with the word covenant. Like agreement, there's an old covenant, an old agreement, and a new agreement. And I said, you know what? If I could say to you that the Bible maybe is not so much just the old and the new, but a layering of agreements between God and people. God trying to figure, figure out that sound that's that's absolutely wrong. God trying to relate and reconcile his people back to himself because of their sin. If anyone's trying to figure it out, it's us, not him. But what are the different covenants in the Bible? Well, Adam had a covenant with God. God just told him, what are we, what we're going here? Um, Fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. There was this agreement. Then, you know, God made a covenant with Noah after the flood. I went through these a little more deeply when I was there that day. And God made a covenant with Abraham. Told him, look at the land. This is the land we were in. Your descendants will be many and through you, all nations of the world will be blessed through one of your line. That ended up being Jesus. Then there was a covenant with Moses. Given the Levitical law, the code of Deuteronomy, hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And this was... The Mosaic Covenant, the covenant with Moses. That's the covenant we mostly associate with the Old Testament, right? The Mosaic Covenant. But you see, even here we had different covenants already. And the Davidic Covenant, where God promised a ruler that would rule from David's line forever and ever. And in the Last Supper, when they celebrate communion, Jesus reclined at table with his apostles with him And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. They were celebrating the Passover. Of which covenant was that a part of? Mosaic. They've been doing it for thousands of years. 14, 15 centuries. Not quite thousand, Not multiple thousands. I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, and saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And a lot of people don't realize this use of the word new would have just stopped the disciples in their tracks not only because you don't mess with the passover right that's like don't mess with christmas you know it's like you, we've been doing this a long time jesus you don't mess with the passover i know you've said some crazy things here along the way and we've been on board all the way along there could have been just a simple bit of new uh-uh <laughs> this is the defining moment the exodus you don't change this But the real reason the use of the word new would have come up to them in face of the Adamic covenant and the Noahic covenant and and the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant and the Davidic covenant were these words from the book of Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Oh, Moses is passing away. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother and say, You should know the Lord. There will be no need for evangelism. Because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. And in Christ, God, who is omniscient, has never forgotten a thing, is very different than not remembering. It's more of a financial or legal term. Have you ever forgotten anything? Well, God has not. So God has never forgotten your sins. It's not this passive, oops, just the same way that I rebuked myself when I said God was trying to figure it to. Figure, God has never forgotten or learned anything. But he will remember our sins against us no more. The debt is canceled because of the work of Jesus on the cross. And It was just this joy to like declare the gospel to these 48 people in this little room in the garden tomb. What a great thing I got to do and unfortunately today we still tell people know the Lord if you're here today and you are not rightly related to God through Jesus Christ because of the work of the cross on your behalf if you are wondering why is there something instead of nothing why is the world broken what is God going to do about it has he done anything about it yes he has and that's why the symbol sits behind me no other symbol of death has been has been recreated we do not put nooses and syringes and electric chairs up and worship them but the instrument of the cross the sign of death is the sign of victory it's glorious that was that was just really really awesome to do so lessons from israel there were so many I did not try to outsmart myself while I was there, thankfully. When we were on Mount Carmel, I read the passage from 2 Kings. When we were at Caesarea Philippi, I went to Matthew. It was just a joy to read those passages in those places. Okay. That's most of what I wanted to share. Uh, a few more things. Lessons from other churches. We visited quite a few. Um, friends, there are a lot of like-minded friends out there. A lot of people who love Jesus, love church, love to do it well. I think we do a lot of things well. We can always get better. We can grow. We must always remember, and what united me in all these churches, is that the gospel is our strength. The gospel. The work of Jesus. That was great. I'm looking at that clock, and I don't want to go too long. Uh, Third thing, lessons from my absence. Most of these are very quickly. You don't need me. We say that you shouldn't need me. Other ch- other pa- other churches are a little jealous of the fact. This is the way I describe it. Are you the preaching pastor at your church? I'm on a preaching team. A preaching team, yeah. Well, Brian preaches most of the time. He's got a full time pulpit ministry. He could do it every week. He's great. But I used to have a full-time pulpit ministry. Uh, I get to preach once a month. And we have this other guy, Greg. He's great. He doesn't want to preach much more than four times a year, so we gave him the fifth Sundays. So what happens is every month, Brian gets a break. He gets a week to just kind of, ah. And every quarter, he gets two weeks off from preaching, which probably allows him to refresh. I got the best deal because I have four weeks to prepare every time that I'm preaching And I love that because it reminds us subtly that it's not about the person who's the leader. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. That's why I love it if Randy and Doug, you know, as long as the word is proclaimed faithfully and it's handled well and we are fed. And it's something I'm reminded of. It's kind of like I sometimes, sorry honey, say to Lori, I learned from C.J. Mahaney's book on humility. You don't need me, and if I thought you did, it's kind of like pride keeping you from sleeping at night because who else will worry if I go to sleep? Or maybe God never sleeps or slumbers, and it's okay if you go to bed because God might solve the problem while you're asleep. You ever contemplate the fact that God might have made us not to need sleep? That'd be weird, wouldn't it? If we could just go, 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 go. And some some of you would like that. Some of you would hate it. I don't know, but you'd never know the difference because God didn't make you need sleep. But God made us to need sleep, partly to remind us we're not him. Lessons from my absence. I visited with Mark Vrogop, the pastor of College Park Church. He said a couple things that were insightful to me. He said, Trey, there are things you used to do that others are doing now that you should never do again. Huh, I hadn't thought of that. He said, Trey, there are things you need to start doing you've never done before. He said, and then the wisdom is for you and your church to know which things fall into which categories. And that'll take place over a little bit of time and discussion. I said, that's helpful, Mark. And then he told me, he said, don't push too hard when you get back. It'll take you a few, you know, you're gone 12 weeks. It'll take you a few weeks to, you know, get back in the seat. Just let it happen. The one thing that's in the front of my heart regards to that, that has really been burdening me and Lori. I suppose it's because I was in Israel, in the land of agriculture, in the land of imagery. Shepherds need to be with their sheep. And God has given me a prayer and Bible ministry, and I want to find more meaningful ways to be with more of you, more often, informally, to be a good shepherd. I'm not even sure what that looks like yet. But the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I walked into the Museum of the Bible, by the way, and walked into this little kid's area. Some of you might see the pictures online where me and Elijah were knocking down the pillars of the temple in Gaza or Samson. You know, it's kind of it's a cool place. I wrongly put Jericho up there. I was just tired. I was, You don't go six hours that way and then seven hours that way and not have it do weird things to your head, I promise you. But I walked in there and I looked up at this wall and in big print on the wall it's a museum of the Bible right Psalm 23 The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want and I looked at Lori and I said come here look at that How is that even true I described the northern part of Israel as like Maui the southern part oh no <laughs> that's the desert that's the wilderness that's crazy and I was like how did he write that I shall not want and jerusalem is more in the south where david lived was more in the south just little things like that anyway i'll be thinking more and more about that in the months to come how to be among the people of god more how to be in the community more for the sake of the gospel that's just running i miss you guys and then lastly lessons from my heart she stole my thunder but i still love my wife what a great time thank you just a great time Do you know that there is a requirement written into this sabbatical grant if you were to achieve the award? I don't know if we told you this or not. I can't leave for a year, and you can't fire me for a year. We have to give the money back. I appreciate that, and we were laughing with my family last night. I think one of the reasons for that is, I'm sure it's disruptive in some people's lives that somebody gets away and they begin to think, well, the grass might be a little greener, or they use the grant, as an opportunity to go looking for a different job, or a church might decide, hey, you know what, this was better. I'm pretty sure that the people who are giving us this money are not in the business of separating churches from their pastors. That seems plain enough to say, right? They're not in the business of separating their one, healthy churches, healthy pastors, so they put this one little requirement in there. From my perspective... It's not necessary. What I learned while I was on sabbatical, and this is almost without exception, every Sunday morning I wanted to be here. I don't mean I didn't enjoy. Boy, there's a Revelation series going on at College Park Church. Mark Rogop's doing it right now. We intended to visit a few more churches. We went there for the introduction. We went there the next four weeks. It's good. Find it online. Listen to it it's good they're just getting started there are good churches i had a ball going down my friend toby johnson at uh, gray road i mean going to the churches we went to this pastor this young pastor in maui on kihei at kihei baptist temple or baptist chapel or whatever it's called i don't remember boy he can preach the word there are some good gifted people out there god still has servants everywhere so I don't mean to demean any of that. You understand? But in here, this is home. And I so missed you. That's not a great conclusion, but it's 11 o'clock. So um, I learned a lot. And um, I am glad to be back. I'm to invite the praise team back to the platform, I think. Uh, we have... Just going to sing a final song, so I had a better conclusion. But um, I, it was witty and great and engaging. <laughs> if you, I guess we're having lunch today, please feel free to come ask me any questions. Uh, you want to hear a different? I'll, I have plenty of stories. If that's your cup of tea, I just don't want to. I not want to make this this morning fully about that. So we're here.